Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Afterlife Awareness Conference. The Afterlife Conference will be virtual again this year in 2021, and we hope you'll join us online June 24th through the 27th. As we have done for the last 11 years, we unite the disciplines in exploring the survival of consciousness after death, offering wisdom from hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, shamans, scholars, and counselors who share a deep understanding of death and beyond. This year, we are honored to have Dr. Robert Thurman, a worldwide authority on Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, as our keynote speaker. He'll be teaching us how to die like a Tibetan Buddhist and is also offering a workshop on Buddhist cosmology. We are also proud to feature returning scholar Dr. Ken Doka, senior consultant to the Hospice Foundation of America, who will talk about the mystical experiences of the dying, and Dr. Jeff Black, a psychiatrist who is also a shamanic practitioner who works with ritual practices for death and bereavement. In addition, we have general sessions addressing everything from music, Phantology and death doula work to ancestral healing practices and grief support. And there are continuing education credits available for licensed professionals. Visit our website at afterlifeconference.com for all the details. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast. My guest today is a familiar face with Path 11. Uh, My guest, Kelvin Chin, was on episode 263, Overcoming the Fear of Death. We were talking about uh, that book that he had, and uh, we were just talking about death, the fear of death. I learned a lot about meditations. I ended up um, taking him up on his offer of participating in some of his meditation courses, which were excellent and great. And he is back here. Here with us because he has written another book. I'll show it to you guys who are watching. Marcus Aurelius Updated. So if you haven't listened to episode 263, let me tell you a little bit about Kelvin Chin. He is the executive director and founder of the Turning Within Meditation and Overcoming the Fear of Death Foundations. He's an internationally recognized meditation teacher, featured in Business Insider, Newsweek, Kaiser Health News, has spoken at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, and taught at West Point and in the U.S. Army, including on the DMZ in Korea. He's been meditating for 50 years. He doesn't even look that old, okay? Uh, (laughs) Teaching it for 47 and has had many experiences piercing the veil. And his past life memories go back 6,000 years. So an old soul we have here. He's the author of the new book that we're going to be talking about again. That is Marcus Aurelius, Updated 21st Century Meditations on Living Life. And this is a collection of essays ranging from emotions, life principles, meditation, and the spiritual. His first book, Overcoming the Fear of Death, is also a bestseller, and he is taught in healthcare and universities, is a graduate of Dartmouth, Dartmouth, Yale, and Boston College Law, and has lived in seven countries. So, Kelvin, welcome back to the Path 11 Podcast. Great to be here again with you, April. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, nice to see you. Mm. So, okay, so this book, um, so when I saw the cover, I mm. have no idea who Marcus Aurelius was. Looks like a yeah. very 
interesting uh, fellow here. So um, the cover is really interesting. So why don't you take us back a little bit to uh, the creation of this book and why was it inspired by Marcus? Yeah. So Marcus Aurelius uh, is, uh, was a philosopher, but also uh, a Roman emperor in the second century. So he is considered uh, perhaps the last of the of the of the great uh, Roman emperors in the what they call the the Pax Romana, which is the peaceful, uh, the more the more or less peaceful, although they were always at war, but the more or less settled uh, time of, of of the Roman Empire. And um, this picture of him on the cover that you point out here on the cover of the book is actually a, a, a it's a bust, a, a statue, a bust of him, and uh, from the museum in Rome. Italy. Um, and this is a, a rendition of him when he was about 15 years old. So uh, it was before, obviously, he became emperor. But I chose this particular, uh, you know, statue of him because it's not the usual one that everybody usually sees when he's older and when he was emperor. So I thought I'd pick a, a, something different. But um, like I said, he was a philosopher first and uh, in his own mind anyway. Um, of course, once you become Roman emperor of uh, about a quarter of the a quarter of the world's population, that's that's what the Roman emperor uh, at that around that time period was the leader of twenty five percent of the world's population. Um, so, but but he, but it, but his focus was being on uh, uh, thinking about life. So, when I say philosopher, what does that mean? Thinking about life in a way, in a practical, pragmatic way. He was a Stoic philosopher, a, a study of a student of Stoicism, uh, which we generally today, I think most people think of, oh, being Stoic as being like non-emotional and so forth. And that's really not true. That's not accurate in terms of the actual philosophy of Stoicism. Uh, it's in a, it's kind of an extension or a kind of a, something that people have taken from that and distilled it down into that simplistic way of looking at it. But really, Stoicism was a very practical way of looking at life. How can we improve the quality of living our life more fully in the present moment, regardless of what's going on around us, et cetera, et cetera, which, as you probably know from taking my meditation class, April, and also from hearing me in the first discussion, my other book, that's the way I look at life, too is how can we improve our lives now in the continual present, regardless, you know, as you said, my memories go back 6,000 years, but so what? I have past life memories. I'm living now as Kelvin Chin in, in 2021. So that's the way he viewed life, and so I resonated with this with, with, with his view, and that's why, you know, I, I chose to uh, call it Marcus Aurelius Updated and started with some of his, um, some of his maxims in the beginning of the book. Great. And just curious with, I know you are, have been tapped into some of your past lives. Do you have any connection of that era of that lifetime? Were you once him or what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, since you, since you went right there, uh, the (laughs) short answer is yes, yes, and yes. Um, So it it unfolded in in my, in, in my awareness, as you may remember, we talked about how past lives can come, memories can come about in a very non-linear way. And then I got external corroboration from other people and sources and so forth 
not past life regression people, but people who don't know me. And we compared notes and so forth. And so um, the short answer is yes. Okay, very cool. I'm sure my listeners are extremely intrigued, but we'll leave it at that. Because yeah. we have lots to get through today. Yes, yes. Okay, so question number one started right off the bat when I got into um, actually the very first chapter here, which are were your favorite um, meditations mm. by Marcus. Mm -hmm. And when I got to it says five point three seven free will and destiny. So what you do here is you kind of give a quote from him. And I'll read it just so my uh, listeners and viewers have a reference of what we're talking about here. And this is quoted from Marcus. There was a time long past when fate was kind to me, a common tragic layman from the second century. But the truly fortunate person has created his own good fortune through good habits of the soul, good intentions, and good actions. And then Kelvin comes in to write, Marcus is talking about free will and destiny, in parentheses fate, in this maxim. We each have the free will to do whatever we choose. We have personal choice. And based on those choices, certain consequences to our thoughts and actions follow. And then this is what I wanted to talk about. There is no such thing as absolute destiny or fate. Everything is subject to change depending on the choices we make. So I'm always questioning people about free will and fate because mm -hmm. it feels, it does feel like I've had some experiences in my life. Now, granted, there were choices that were made that got me to some of these, what I would call synchronistic events that almost seemed to me like it had to have been planned or that it was destined, um, even though I made some of these choices. But can you go a little bit further when you say such a statement that there is no such thing as absolute destiny or fate? Because some yes. things that have happened in my life feel like that they were fate yes. and destined. So the, the key words that you just said in your description of your, we'll call it your life experience, is it even though I made choices? And that's the key. So what, what I'm saying here and what he's saying and, uh, is, is that absolute uh, destiny in the sense of it's all planned out. There are no choices. Our we have no influence on anything we do in life. That's really what destiny means. Now, you may use it in a different way, and that's okay, but you may use it more loosely. But that's not the way in, in philosophy, in the way people think about ontological things uh, from a philosophical standpoint. Ontological means, the, you know, the state of being, you know, the universe, etc. Um, they don't use destiny in that way. It's not a loose, it's not used loosely. It, it means you can't do anything you don't have no choices. You may think you have choices, but you really don't. That's what destiny really means. What I'm saying and what Marcus is saying is that um, we do make choices and we can influence things. And not only that, but other people make choices and millions of other trillions of other. Now, OK, the trillionth person out there who's making a choice has a very, very minimal effect on my life. OK. But is it, a, is it a little teeny, eensy, weensy, microscopic ripple effect that they even have? Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Of course, the people who are closer to me and you and I right now, we're engaging in a conversation, have more direct influence in what I'm going to say and thinking and doing and so forth and so on. But everybody, we, we forget, I think a big part of this whole free will destiny uh, discussion is 
one of the fundamental things people forget is it's not just about us. It's what about other people and mm-hmm. their influence and what they think. And don't they have, they have choices. And if they have choices and they have choices and that's when you get to quadrillions of people or beings having choices, the animals, our pets have choices. They're making choices. They're affecting us. All of that. It's not just my free will choices that are controlling my life. Look, obvious example. I don't know anybody in Congress. I don't know anybody in the U S Congress. I don't know any of those people, (laughs) you know, but are they influencing me? Absolutely. They're making laws that I got to follow and it is an influence, you know, how I drive through an intersection, the state legislatures and all the legislators and all this stuff. Yes, I don't know any of these people, but they're influencing me and their and their choices, their free will choices are affecting my free will choices. Now, to your point though, here's where the confusion I think arises is when we do make a plan, whether it's a business plan or whether we can talk about it more esoterically in terms of a soul plan on the other side before we come into this lifetime. Or we can make plans during this lifetime that are more esoteric too, so forth. But whatever, doesn't matter. Can we make plans? Absolutely, yes. And I, agree, and I, I, I encourage people to. I, mean, I think we should. I think we should think more strategically and plan things out, whether we're on the other side or this side or in business or relationships or whatever. Look, I, I, just, I, thought of this. I, I did a I did a short uh, talk. It's on my YouTube channel. People can check it out on 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 dating, online dating, and soulmates. You know, should we think more strategically about these things in these relationships? Absolutely, yes. But do we have full control over everything? No. That's what destiny means. <clears throat> so your experience is very real, and lots of people have had that experience. And so I'm not saying that's not real. That is real. I've had that experience uh, hundreds of times in my lifetime so far, right? Because I'm a lot older than you are. But anyway, but, uh, but, but, but that's real. But it doesn't mean that I am in full control of everybody in the universe and that I can control everything. That's what destiny means, okay? Gotcha. All right. Awesome. Thank you. So one of the things I really like about this book and, you know, for the readers who are going to pick it up is that it is really nice that you've broken it, broken it down into like these 67, there's 67 chapters or essays, because I love books like that, where you can just flip around and pick something, you know, randomly, or maybe by free will (laughs) or choice and and read it. Yeah. So, you know, it's like broken up into a bunch of different things. So the next uh, place where I want to go to is emotions, Mm. right? And we are hopping over to page 59. I wanted you to talk more about this. The Mm. dangers of emotionally feeling good. Mm. So this was really interesting. And I just love how you talked about, um, I don't know, I almost have everything highlighted here, but basically how it just feels like we're always trying to race to this end goal of, well, if I feel good, then I'm happy. And then life is really good. And um, I'll let you kind of take it over from there. But there is a danger in kind of always shooting for that to be this unrealistic, I think, end game. Yeah, it's just, it, there's nothing wrong with, first of all, caveat, there's nothing wrong with feeling good. And we all like to feel good. It's not, and, and it's, and it's not a it's it's not a bad objective to want to feel good. Okay, that's not the point of this essay. The right. point is, it's it's dangerous, meaning it is risky. We increase our risk. 
if we're always all about feeling good. And, and, and my observation of the human race, who these last 6,000 years that I'm aware of anyway, is that, uh, is that we, we fall into that pattern or trap or whatever you want to call it of always seeking the feel-good feeling. And the feel-good feeling is not always, you know, and we, I talk about it, you know, uh, you know, here, the risk of it, you know, alcohol, drugs, you know, you know, cults, you know, groups that support our beliefs, whether, they re- whether they're religious, cultural, or political, at the exclusion of all other thinking. You know, that's, I, I wrote this, quite frankly, thinking about the current uh, climate in the United States, you know, and around the world, where we, we're getting so uh, tribal in our thinking, hmm. and, and it makes us feel good. Oh, I feel good. I'm, I'm part of a group. I feel wanted, you know, I, I feel supported and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I suggest is that in the essay is that we need to balance that. Life is about balance. Life is always about balance. There's nothing wrong with emotionally feeling good, but we need to balance it with our rational thinking. And that's when people start going awry and start getting down the danger road, so to speak, where they may actually hurt themselves because they're not paying attention to where they're driving, so to speak. They're just going to where it feels good and so forth without looking at the road. And so the looking at the road in the analogy is the rational thinking. Does it make sense? Am I staying? Does it make sense to what I'm, of what somebody is telling me about how I should be thinking? And I say this, and you, you've heard me say this in the classes you've taken with me. I always say to people, you, I'm teaching people how to think for themselves as much as humanly possible. Now, I give you guidance and approaches and perspectives and, and even content. But I tell my students, question what I'm saying, too, because I'm teaching you how to think for yourself. And that's where the rubber meets the road always, because I think we're eternal beings, always figuring things out for ourselves. But this whole idea of uh, cognitive dissonance and the idea of thinking clearly um, is we talk about that in that essay also. What is cognitive dissonance? There's a lot of cognitive dissonance in the world where people will think this and they'll do something else or they'll think it and they'll not think it clearly. That's what it's cognitive inconsistency. It's, it's there's there's lack of logic sometimes. I, I watch a lot of sports. I'll just give people a quick example. It's like it's like uh, you, you see this in sports all the time. Um, oh, NFL, okay, uh, football, you know, uh, all the coaches will say at the beginning or, you know, preseason, they'll say, our goal is the Super Bowl. Our goal is to win it all. We want the, to win the Super Bowl. That's what we're focused on. You know, that's where we're all in. The team is all in on that. Okay, that's great. Then go look and see what their behavior is, right? Uh, oh, you know, you know, this star can show up late for practice. Oh, this one, you know, was drunk. This one did this, and this one's not really working out. Uh, you know, where's so-and-so? We're doing a drill over here. Where is he? Oh, he's in there. Uh, you know, he's sending up, you know, he's, he's taking a, you know, Instagram picture or something. These are coaches who are cognitively dissonant. They are not walking their talk, basically. And I'm just using that as an example because everybody can probably go, oh, yeah, I've seen that with my team. You know, they just don't do that. You know, you know, they, 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 they don't walk their talk. 
You know, they're, they're not in the Super Bowl. You know why? Now, it's not always, you're not going to always make it to the Super Bowl if you're consistent with your thinking, but you have to start there. And so my, my, my point is that whether it's this NFL or whether it's our spiritual goals, we got to think consistently. And it's, and as you know, with my book, this book and all my work, it's all about helping people live life more enjoyably. The pursuit of happiness is the goal always. And so how can we balance our emotions with our rational thinking and get to where we want to go? That's the purpose of that essay. Yeah. You know, the dangers of emotionally feeling good. And speaking of the NFL, I think I also mm. might have bookmarked the. You gave an example about Tom Brady and how, like, mm. he kind of used, um, you know, the fact that I don't have the number, but you know, he wasn't one of the top uh, draft picks, and mm -hmm. you know, he he really worked. I actually recently had um, gotten his book out of the library, mm. um, you know about like how he really trained and how he was really trying mm -hmm. to live up to and work to be the best, but he wasn't, he wasn't the strongest. He wasn't the fastest. He didn't have the best body, but that training that that man has gone through and how focused he is and the way that he takes care of his body and the nutrition and, and all of that kind of proves, um, you know, that one can, doesn't have to live up to what others think of them. Yeah. It, it goes to several things. One is the free will. Mm -hmm. making those personal choices that he has made throughout his life. Right. He, notwithstanding other people saying he's too skinny. I mean, if you see pictures of him at the, at the, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of a joke. I mean, he looks like he's, uh, you know, what is he? Six, four, six, five. He looks like he's about 120, 130 pounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like ridiculous. You know, did you eat? Have you eaten in the last three months? <laughs> you know, I mean, and then he runs, he ran like, uh, you know, his, his 40, you know, they, they timed the 40 yard, uh, you know, dash and, and, and he sprinted for like, you know, I don't know, with six seconds or something ridiculously slow. And, and, uh, but he has worked on all of that. And, and, and so he's made these personal choices. But the other thing is about Brady, and he's a good example of this, is the internal. You mm -hmm. know, he's gone inside, he is focused. Why? Because his mind is strong. He has turned within. Now, did did Tom meditate? Yeah, Tom Tom actually meditated for a minute. I don't know if he still does regularly or whatever, but he and Giselle uh, learned when she was, I think, 17 or something like that to meditate. And then she, you know, they got together obviously long after that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in her 30s or something. But, um, but, you know, she got him into meditation. And so whether he still does or doesn't, he still turns within, which is what, as you know, I call my meditation process, turning within. And it's about us turning within. Whether you do my meditation or some other meditation or some other process, we need to turn within and connect. And that's what he's done throughout his career. Now, he may not articulate it in those exact words that I just said, but if you see any interviews with him, that's what he's saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it seems to me in some of the podcasts that I've listened to with him too, is that he really does have the mental training, you know, yes. kind of the envisioning of how it's already going to happen, yep. you know, the whole manifestation thing, um, and yep. really not accepting anything less, like seeing himself already there as if it's already happened. Right. Now that technique that you talk about, the visualization that a lot of people probably who's listening to this or watching this probably have practiced either individually or in a workshop or whatever, those are all good techniques. I've done those too. But the issue, here's where the rubber meets the road. 
they're only as good as they're only as effective, let's say good, uh, they're only as effective as the degree to which your mind is powerful. Hmm. If your mind is weak and you're doing a visualization technique, it's not going to be very effective. You know, your mind, you have to strengthen the mind. That's when the visualization in these techniques really, that's when they become meaningful. You know, whether it's Phil Jackson with the Michael Jordan and the Bulls and so forth, because Phil has meditation training as well. Phil Jackson, the coach. You know, um, what they call and, him, the Zen master. Yeah, they call him the Zen master. The Zen yeah, master. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's but it's making the mind more powerful, you know. And then you do the visualization. Then it, then it then it actually you can man, you manifest it more uh, more likely. It's all probabilities. The, the free will is always existing there, um, and but it's probabilities that so we can create a plan to make that free throw. Or to win that Super Bowl, or to make that touchdown, but it's the plan is there. We got to execute, right? And the execution is based on the power of our mind and so forth. And the power of our mind is increasing the probabilities that we will make the touchdown. Right, and a trained mind will get you there much quicker. Exactly. Yes. All right. right. Awesome. Cool. Okay, let's go to essay. One oh seven, page one oh seven. And this is section sex and spirituality. So a lot of our listeners and viewers are aware that Path Eleven um produced the Sacred Sexual Music Festival. It was a festival that was held usually in person in Vancouver, uh, Canada, but because of the pandemic, they went virtual. So we said, sure, we'll host it for you. And it was really eye-opening for me. I mean, we really I really didn't have many conversations about sexuality and spirituality on the podcast before. Um, so a lot of these presenters really talked about that and in so many different ways with the energy centers, they connected it to yoga, they connected it to numerology, the fifth dimension, uh, consciousness. I mean, it was covered in all many different aspects. So when I, you know, was going through your book and mm-hmm. found sex, sex and spirituality on page 107 here, um, I thought, okay, yeah, let's, let's talk about this again and give it from like another perspective of where you're coming from it. Because, you know, you kind of touch upon what are the beliefs about sex? Is sex wrong? Who started this thinking that sex was wrong or lesser? Is it neutral? Um, And, you know, you gave some really good examples. So can you talk a little bit more about this essay? Sure. I think I I was inspired to write this because this was uh, several years ago I wrote this essay. These are a collection of essays that I've been writing probably over the last six years or so. Um, this one I, I wrote, you know, four or five years ago. Um, and uh, I was inspired to write it because I, I, for, I don't know exactly what the event or the article or the, whatever the incident was that, that stimulated it. But this whole notion that uh, we are such a bottled up society worldwide especially in America, you know, once the Puritans came over, the, you know, in the, in the beginning days in the 1600s. I, I seriously think that this is a big part that, 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 that misunderstandings about sex are, are, are a big part of uh, a lot of the guilt and the shame and the baggage that people are carrying around. And this is worldwide. Yeah. But um, and I, and I thought about this, and I said, well, you know, where does this idea that sex is somehow bad, lesser, wrong in some cultures and, uh, be, you know, belief systems, um, where does it come from? And I think it comes from thousands and thousands of years ago 
this idea uh, that, you know, mostly guys, I'm going to blame men on this, uh, because sitting around meditating in their caves, not that there weren't women meditating in their caves, but I think I'm going to blame the men on this. <laughs> I don't know if this is factually accurate, but, <laughs> you know, whatever, whoever, the sittings, they're sitting in their caves 10,000 years ago, whenever, and, and, they're, and, and they're thinking, oh, this is the way, this is really the way to spirituality is sitting in my cave. Uh, the more painful the rock I'm sitting on and lean against, the better. This whole idea that starting to promote this idea that suffering is a good thing and that, oh, by the way, uh, you know, celibacy, no sex. Okay. And I think that it became a, what I call a self-referential group of people sitting around thinking, yeah, you know, I had this amazing experience in meditation, you know, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's because I'm not having sex, you know, and, and, then, and then another one says, yeah, maybe you're right. And I don't think it started coming out, you know, it started coming out with these absolutes immediately. It's like this is like a self-referential group meeting, a group of people talking with each other, and they're just kind of supporting each other without any external voices. And then it becomes truth. And then it becomes a religion. And then it becomes a thou shalt not have sex. A rule, and right. <laughs> I, I think that's, the, in a nutshell, in a very short, I just summed up about 10,000 years of history on sex in about two minutes there. So but I think that's basically <laughs> it. So, so I postulate this idea in my essay, maybe sex is just neutral. Maybe it's like, and I use the example of buying Jimmy Choo stilettos, you know, because I've dated a few women who really like them. And then so it's like, you know, it's like, you know, really like it so emotionally invested in buying the shoes, which is great. But is it really anything other than just going to a store and buying shoes? It's actually a neutral act, really, that has that, that, that we can invest a lot of emotion in it. You know, I'm into certain, you know, clothing and so forth that I really like emotionally and so forth. But it's just a piece of cloth, really. And so that's what I mean when I say sex is more neutral. It's an act. It's a physical act. And, and, but but and maybe it's more than that. Maybe it could be more than that. And so we talk about that. But I also talk about the how and not just the what um, in terms of sex and, and relationships. And I just touch on it here. I actually have uh, a whole other set of essays that I didn't put in here about relationships and how we treat each other and so forth in the relationships. But can, can, can sex be more than just neutral, too? And I think it can be. It's, 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 uh, it could be a source of a lot of things, right? Physical pleasure, a way to relax and release, improve one's sleep, a way to release endorphins, a, render to sur a way to surrender oneself to another person, another being, Right? And then maybe a means of connecting with another emotionally, mentally, and spiritually can be a lot of different things than more than just neutral. And so then I talk about this idea of spiritual sex. Um, you know, is there is is there a is there a possibility of having spiritual sex? Is that an oxymoron? Is it contradictory? In other words, and I think not. Not the way I look at it. And I think that in the end. Uh, it's, it's all a matter of choice, personal choice in our intention, back to the how idea of how are we approaching the other person that we're engaged in, in having sex and so forth. Um, to me, 
connection is 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 a is a manner of spirituality, whether it's through sex or whether it's through meditation or whether it's through anything. It's about connecting. Now, meditation, connecting with myself first within, but maybe in a in, having sex with somebody else, then that's connection with that other being. But it's still a connection thing, right? And so that's the way I, I pose these different ways in this essay for people to look at sex through these different perspectives and angles and so forth. But the bottom line is, and I sum it up all in one sentence, is that we come at this with respect, kindness, and without guilt. Great. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, the other thing that I learned in doing that conference, I mean, even trying to um, market it, like on social media, we would have to like redo ads because certain words couldn't be used, you know, and mm. there seems to be a lot of, a lot of shame um, yeah. and secrecy around sex and spirituality. Like people will talk about angels all day long and these mystical experiences, but to bring, you know, sex and intimacy, especially in a world where there's been so much trauma around it, you know, when we look right. at sexual abuse that's <laughs> happening, exactly. rape and, you know, all of that. Um, it's just such a charged, you know, topic and then to bring it into the, the conversation of spirituality and, you know, presence and being conscious right. and, and kind. Um, so, so, just, so just when you bring, uh, I just want to interrupt you, and you talk about rape and so forth and bad actions, we'll call them, okay, as it relates to sex. That falls into the cruelty category, right? Mm -hmm. And we talk about that in one of my essays about cruelty and several of the essays about cruelty and treating other people badly. And, um, and so... You know, right at the beginning of this essay about sex, I say oh, we're carving that out. This is not what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But just wanted to mention it too. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And very lastly here, 186. So I jumped all the way to the back of 10 spiritual red flags. So you've got 10 spiritual red flags here. And, um, you know, I think that this is just kind of a good reference point because you talk about, or you help people, you help the reader who's reading this, like what to watch out for. Maybe if you are uh, learning by a spiritual teacher, or how do you know what spiritual teachers are legit? Like who should you follow per se or learn from? Follow may not be the best word. Mm -hmm. And um, so there were a couple, I mean, the whole thing is great. I don't know if we'll get a chance to actually read through all of them, mm -hmm. but let's take the first two. So mm -hmm. scientists, the first one is scientists or spiritual teachers who espouse the laws of thermodynamics, especially the first law, energy cannot be created or destroyed, who also talk about God or anything being the creator of the universe. There is no need for such a creator if energy cannot be created or destroyed. So that's, mm -hmm. there's a lot in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and I would say that I have you know, as I was reading this, I was just thinking of a lot of guests that I've had on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I've had quite a few people that have had near-death experiences who have mm -hmm. met the creator mm -hmm. um, or who have met God or who have met this divine intelligence. Mm -hmm. And most of them typically say that there wasn't a physical being that they saw, but it was a feeling of presence yeah. that they just knew that that, mm. that is what it was. So I just wanted to, let's start there because yeah. I've talked to a lot of people that I feel like they do talk about God and they do talk about the creator of the universe. And they're very sure that this is. Yep. Yeah. And the reason uh, they're very sure 
is because their belief system is so strong. That's okay. why they're very sure. Mm-hmm. It's because their belief system is so strong before they had the NDE, before mm-hmm. they had the near-death experience or whatever the spiritual experience was. They, they had a very, very strong belief in a creator. And so when they have that feeling of connection with this being, whoever the being may be, the first knee-jerk reaction is to filter it through one's belief system. And if one's belief system is such that one has firmly believed in as a creator, then that feeling is immediately projected to be, that's God. And so or if, they, if they conversely had come into the experience thinking uh, really into Archangel Michael, the feeling they have, that's Archangel Michael. Or if they're really Buddhist, very, very firmly entrenched in the whole Buddhist philosophy and thinking and religion, then when they have that same experience that you're describing, it's that Buddha. So they're filtering it through their belief system, which is very, if their belief system is very firmly entrenched within them. If it's not really a firm belief system within them before they have that spiritual experience, the NDE or whatever, then they're not so sure. And it could be this, it could be that, but I had this experience, all right? So depending on who you're talking with, that's, that, that's usually, that, 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 that's usually the, re- that's the reasoning behind it, is my experience. Because I've had many experiences on the other side, and I come at things like I'm open. I'm open. I'm, I'm like an open book in terms of that. And, you know, I've had experiences. I interpret them, and I have certain belief systems around my experiences. There, I interpret them. But I'm even open to the fact that maybe reincarnation doesn't even exist. Now, I don't even have. I, I can't come up with an, an alternative uh, reasoning for all these experiences I've had over the last six thousand years. These memories. But if somebody came up with, to me with that, I'm open to it. So I'm kind of open. And I go to the other, and I've had experiences, as you know, many times on the other side, and. Um, it's, it's all the conversations I've had with all the various beings that you know I've communicated with on the other side. Shankara, who was Vyasa in a previous lifetime, those people who know anything about Vedic tradition. Vyasa wrote the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita. So Shankara, um, Jehovah, Jesus, John the Baptist, I don't know who I'm leaving out, but you know a whole bunch, Yogananda, etc., um, is that Nobody has experienced that there is a God yet, but people are, you know, we're open and so forth and so on. But um, to this point here, what I'm saying is that if the, the spiritual red flag, forget about whether you believe in a God or not, if, even if there is a God and people believe in a God, God cannot be the creator of the universe because in my experience, uh, based on the first law of thermodynamics, energy cannot be created or destroyed. That means if energy and the universe is energy, as far as my experience is concerned, uh, and is, is, is already ex- al- always existed, then you can't have a beginning to an always. It's either eternal or it's not. Or it's not now, right. you, could, you could say that it's not eternal, and that's okay. And, and, that's, and that's somebody's belief system. That's all right. That's doesn't fit with my experience. But again, I'm not here to change people's belief systems. People need to go with what their experience is. And and I encourage people to follow, you know, to, to create their own belief systems around their own experiences and those, uh, and then and, and, and around teachers who they trust. But um, 
you know, if you have a belief in eternity, you cannot have a belief. Creator makes no logical sense. Now, you and I talked briefly before we started this podcast together here. Uh, and um, could there be a creator of human beings? Yes, there could be a creator of human beings. But my soul as Kelvin Chin and in my other previous lifetimes, et cetera, as a human being, and also as an animal, as an eagle, I have a memory of being an animal. So all of those souls, what I'm saying, the soul is eternal, not necessarily the human species. So could there have been a creator of the human species, whether it's one being, two beings, 12 beings, or a thousand beings created the human species? I don't know. Uh, but, but is that possible? Yes. And does that violate the first law of thermodynamics? No, because my energy, my soul, my individual soul energy, to me, that's the eternal part, not my physical body. So Got whether it. I was a physical human being or an animal or a this or that or anything, eh, people could have, somebody, or not people, but some beings could have created that. That's possible, right? right. Yeah. And couldn't the infinite energy create a God that some people may be experiencing or seeing? Like, could God be, like you said, like, um, you know, there could be somebody or a being out there that has created humans, and maybe there's another layer of something that creates the, what people are referring to as the creator that maybe well, they're you experiencing. Can't, but, but see that, so that's the typical philosophical <laughs> religious argument, okay? Loop. Uh -huh. but, but, but you can't, but it, it, you can't, it, it, it ends, it has to end. It, right. it, it, it becomes illogical. Mm -hmm. There is no creator of a creator of everything, okay? Because then you don't have eternity. Then you, right, gotcha. All right, so so that, but so you'll hear that argument in in a lot of religious institutions, mm -hmm. and people will just buy it. But that's an example of cognitive dissonance that people are just buying blindly and not thinking through logically. It makes no logical sense. But if the if the if the if the religious institution argues it fervently enough, people usually go, okay, all right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but it's not. It, it makes no sense. Okay. And that goes into number two of the 10 spiritual flags, hmm. spiritual teachers who speak about eternity in the creation of the universe. It's impossible. They're mutually exclusive. Either mm -hmm. the universe is eternal beyond the measurement of time, uninfluenced by the field of change, or it's not. If it's eternal, that means with no beginning and no end, creation requires a beginning. So you basically answered yeah. um, my questions just through uh, yeah. one and two. Yeah. Um, and well, let's just kind of run through the other spiritual teachers hmm. who tell you they are not your gurus, but expect you to follow what they say without question because they know what is good for you. That's it a walks class, like, yeah. yeah. It walks, like, walks like a duck, talks duck. like a duck, it's a duck. Yeah. <laughs> or guru. Look at their actions, not just their words. Yeah, that's and, the cognitive dissonance thing. Right. 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 Yeah. And uh, number four, uh, ditto for number three for angels or other spiritual teachers channeling from the other side. So I've talked to channelers that have been on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so what are your thoughts about that? Oh, the channeling is real. I mean, but, okay. but the thing is, but, uh, but the issue is, where are they getting the information from on the other side? So are they getting it from a being, whether it's a dead human or a prior dead human, or whether it's a, a being who's never been a human or whatever, call them angels, call them whatever, um, on the other side, who, who has a belief that they know better than you do. And then mm -hmm. they'll tell you this is, they'll do the thou shalt stuff, right? Mm -hmm. 
This is the way it is. You know, you humans don't know what you're talking about. Da, 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 da. You need to listen to me. To me, when I hear that, I run the other way. <laughs> Yeah. So basically what you're really encapsulating too with these spiritual teachers or gurus is that if you hear anybody give you an absolute, yes. of this is the absolute way, run. Yeah, because it violates free will. That's mm -hmm. the absolutes violate free will. That it assumes that they know everything about everything, that everything that anything that will happen and they they know everything about everybody's free will choices in the universe. And so we got quadrillions of minds on planet Earth. How many other planets there are? You know, I've, I've been on other planets. I've lived on other planets. So that's a whole other thing. But, you know, it's like how many other beings are there? Because it's it a big number, whatever it is. And so that presumes when somebody says, oh, no, I know what you need to do. You absolutely need to. When absolutes presume omniscience. And that is pretty. Uh, uh, it's a lot of hubris there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. A of, well, a lot, of, a lot of arrogance. Yes. Um, and then, you know, the, the 10 spiritual red flags just kind of, you know, continue down, like to be aware of spiritual teachers who tell you that you are being or will be judged spiritually by anyone now or after death. Spiritual teachers who tell you that you are a being or will be punished spiritually by anyone or that you get credit for doing good deeds, hell or karma. Anyone who tells you that your level of spiritual development or your level of consciousness Tells, tells you they know your level of spiritual development and level mm. of consciousness. Mm. Uh, spiritual teachers who say there is an end point, a goal, a state of perfection, enlightenment, and nirvana. Anywhere, anyone who uses the word destiny or phrases like it's meant to be to describe a preordained result or predetermined path, that is absolutely certain because this violates, again, like you're saying, uh, the principle of free will. And then number 10, anyone who uses the existence of the afterlife or other lifetimes reincarnation as evidence that God exists. There are two very different concepts. We can have experiences and memories of both heaven and other lifetimes and still be an agnostic or atheist, a non-believer in God. The afterlife is a structural place that exists whether you believe in God or not. Right. So those right. are some 10 spiritual <clears throat> red flags. So this book is great. I mean, well, it's not a book, a book of essays, I should call it, right? Yeah. It's a collection of essays and... Exactly. Um, and I know that even though we're recording this podcast a little bit earlier, um, on April 26th, you had said that you have mm. some uh, free monthly gatherings that you're going to be doing, and you're also mm -hmm. offering our podcast listeners, what was it, $50 mm -hmm. off your Turning mm -hmm. Within Meditation classes. So mm -hmm. let's mm -hmm. let people know where they can find you, where they can take your classes, right. how do they get the free $50, and uh, you are going to sure. be doing these free monthly gatherings to talk about the essays in this yes. book that we've been talking about today. Yeah, probably the easiest thing for people to do is Google my name. They Google my name, Kelvin Chin. I'm the first two pages on Google. So, um, and, um, and they can find any of my uh, websites that way. But one of the websites to go to the easiest one, you go to kelvinchin.org. They're all, they're, they're org.org because that's a nonprofit. They're, I do my work through my nonprofits. Kelvinchin.org. Now that one will, um, uh, you know, you can get this book and so forth. You can also uh, send just send me a message, really, and uh, and you could just probably the easiest thing if you wanted to sign up for any of my classes is probably the easiest thing is just to go to kelvinchin.org, 
um, and send me a, a message on the contact page. You can find my other websites by going to the bottom of the page of any of my websites. I have four websites. You can go to the bottom of any page, and you'll see hot links to the other three. And so the one, you know, Kelvin Chin author, obviously, is my book website. And the other ones, I have Meditation one, and I have my Overcoming the Fear of Death one. And KelvinChin.org is my more spiritual website. So they can go to any of them, and they can just shoot me a message. And um, if they're interested in this monthly, this free monthly series that I'm doing, I'm talking about different topics each month out of this book. So as April said, there's 67 essays in here. There's a lot of material in here. And probably the best way to read the book is just go to the table of contents and just see what jumps out at you. That's right. what I'm suggesting people do. But um, free monthly series. I'm starting it on this Monday. This uh, Well, uh, where people will see this after. It's, uh, but the reason it's on April 26th is because that happens to be the 1900th birthday of Marcus Aurelius. Um, so I'm starting the monthly series on his birthday. And um, after that, it'll be on Saturdays uh, monthly. And so people can see the dates and the topics that I'll be talking about again on my website. Great. Well, Kelvin, thank you so much. And for those of you who go to his website, uh, go to the contact page, let him know that you heard his podcast on the Path 11 podcast, and you'll get that $50 off for the exactly. Turning Within class. So exactly. Kelvin, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, to see you, uh, to support your work because it's wonderful. It's great. I st I'm still using the technique that you taught me. Great. Um, awesome. So, you know, just love it. And anything we can do to help spread the word with all the great stuff that you're doing, come on back anytime you'd like okay okay April great to see you thank you all right great to see yeah. you too yeah. Bye -bye. thank you everyone for tuning in I hope you enjoyed that podcast and remember you can also watch this podcast on path11tv.com for free again no subscription necessary but if you would like to subscribe please take the code podcast 30 off of your monthly or annual subscription and I will see and talk to you guys next time Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's podcast. And I'd like to give you a couple of coupon codes before you go. I would first love for you to go to path11tv.com and I'd like you to sign up for your free seven day trial. If you like what we have on there, which I know you will, I would like you to go ahead on checkout and put in the code podcast 30. That's going to give you 30% off of the annual subscription. And uh, the afterlife awareness conference is also giving path 11 podcast listeners $40 off the general admission ticket for the virtual conference this year. You can go to afterlifeconference.com. You can purchase your general admission ticket through Eventbrite and put the code. There's a place in the top left corner. You go ahead and click that coupon code and put in PATH40. Again, that's PATH40, and that's going to give you $40 off of the general admission ticket. So with the Afterlife Awareness Conference, they are also giving you six months of free replays. So if you cannot make the conference on June 24th through the 27th, that's not a problem. We will give you six months to rewatch that conference at your leisure. So again, two coupon codes, path11tv.com. Get 30% off by using podcast 30 and afterlifeawarenessconference.com. Go ahead and use path 40 to get $40 off your general admission ticket. Thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. 